0: Angels at Christmas, it is Swedenborg Live, happy holidays, actually just happy day to all of you. Thanks for joining us. My name is Curtis Childs. I'll be hosting this uh, interactive Q&A session, and with me I have uh, an esteemed panel of co-hosts and co-explorers. Uh, would you introduce yourselves?
1: Sure, I'm Chelsea Odner and a writer for Swedenborg and Life, and I'm happy to be here. Hey everybody.
2: Hello, friends. I'm Cara Dom, Latin consultant and one of the team members who responds to your comments under our videos. Let's have fun.
0: Yeah, and comments are going to play a big role today because what we're going to do is entirely respond to your questions from the chat. So if you're there in the YouTube chat right now, get your questions in and we will answer them. How many of them we're gonna answer depends a little bit on you because if we reach our fundraising goal today, which today is $112, we will go an extra 15 minutes. It's just a token of our appreciation for you helping us a not-for-profit do this kind of programming, but we're gonna do $112 as our goal because we have this related quote, a sort of spiritual thought here to set the mood, and this is from True Christianity 112. We can all say the same thing of our own soul and body. All that is yours is mine, and all that is mine is yours. So this principle applies to us. You are in me, and I am in you. Those who see me see you. We are one individual, and we have one life. Why? Because the soul exists throughout us and in every part of us. Our soul's life is in our body. It is something the soul and body share. When I say the divine nature of the Father, what I mean is the Father himself, since he is the same as his nature. His nature is one undivided thing. So taking some mystical, strange saying of Jesus and saying, no, this is how everything works for all of us. It's just it, it, Jesus is not out there in orbit somewhere. This is you. I, I think that's that's happening. Okay. So thank you everyone for considering supporting us. Oh, I didn't say how do you do it. I'm not going to tell you. Okay. Go to slash donate Every dollar you put in will help us. Also, we've had our matching extended, so we're trying to reach our overall $20,000 goal, just a few hundred dollars away. Everything you put in here will go towards that. Let's do some questions. While we're getting ready for your questions to come in from the chat, they're probably already there, but we want to just give a little airtime to the awesome responses we got to this week's reflection question, which was, what's a way that you have felt energized by working in teamwork with other people? Uh, so Chelsea, yeah, what did people say?
1: Yeah, so um, we have some great responses here, so I'll read them to you. Um, we have, uh, I volunteer at a local cat rescue organization. I feel inspired and energized every time I'm there. Hardworking people, true animal lovers, and the kitties are, well, perfect. <laughs> um, and the greatest feeling I get out of teamwork is a sense of family and belonging. Also, encouraging and supporting each other brings life and energy to the team. Totally. And as a leader, Of a new mother and baby support class, I am now at 75, often reminded of how we worked together to feel the joy as well as the challenges of raising children. We all helped to make life more rewarding. We were the village. Thank you Lord for being there with me as I was leading. Mm -hmm. And I'm always energized by working in a team or group. The ideas and the results are so much more meaningful when finished, always a good feeling from working in community. And yes, OTLE, I've been energetic and inspired to work with the community where I'm spiritually nurtured by love and wisdom. And when we were under lockdown due to COVID-19, we were isolated in our homes. At 7 p.m., we went outside to make noise to show our thankfulness for frontline workers. Hearing the thankful sounds from people in all directions was very energizing as well as comforting knowing the community was teeming with people of like minds and grateful hearts despite the isolation. Knowing this transpired all over the world, albeit in different time zones, inspired team spirit and faith in humanity as a whole. That's awesome. That's great. And When you bounce ideas off others and get feedback and reinforcement on your idea, plus new thoughts. Totally. And you can work together to do something worth doing. Even if you're all frustrated, confused, or otherwise challenged, you can cheer each other up with gallows humor. Can't overestimate the value of that bond. The team gets the job done. Each individual shares the satisfaction. <clears throat> I love that, that even the even the hard times, you can get through them together. And right. recently, working with others across the nation to address ignorance, complacency, and advocacy as it relates to issues of racism and social justice makes for a useful place to share collective wisdom, prayer, and hope for a better future for all. And I'm a yoga teacher. I'm getting to the end of a backbending training. As a team, we have worked together to develop our practice. There is a lot of sharing and support that creates an environment of possibility which is very energizing. That's awesome, that's great. It's reminding me of people saying how, you know, um, meditating together with other people can be, can sort of encourage you and support you in your own meditation practice. I feel like that's so true. So it's a miracle anything gets done with groups. There's always one individual God anoints to carry the load. I notice this as a miracle. God does provide every time. This load carrier rarely gets any golden credit, and they are always at peace with helping out. Angels in the flesh I have always thanked God for. Mostly they are hard to see unless one has the eye for it. So that's the last one. Those are, those are great. So many cool different yeah. ways to think about that.
0: People, people in the chat can vote to say, who was the load carrier of the panel today? <laughs> but no, it, it's it's so cool to to hear those those insights and the inspiring nature of working together, bringing that individual effort together. And I'm thinking, like, what we're doing here is this like with the chat plus us plus everyone watching is this group effort to bring ideas to life in the mind. So I, I think we're tapping into that group right here. If you want to hear Chelsea and I answer that question, check out the off the left or inside off the left eye episode that's coming out on Sunday angel visits, and Swedenborg's spiritual audience with the king. That's going to be not to miss. All right, let's get into our our questions and see uh, what people had to say. This is question number one from Witch of the Wildwood, who asks, does Swedenborg mention anything about menstruation? I know in the Bible it says a woman is unclean because she menstruates. What might be the meaning of that? If we went to our Swedenborg search thing and typed in menstruation. Do we get anything or do we get anything around that? What do you, what do you think?
2: I don't think so. I don't think I've run across any discussion of that, which I never noticed before.
1: (laughs) I know. I feel like I think about it a lot for myself as a Swedenborgian, but I don't think I've ever actually searched that term or just happened to come across anything about, uh, you know, the uncleanness that oh, yeah. th- those sort of rules of uncleanness in in Leviticus or whatever. So,
0: um, one thing yeah. that we know for sure is it doesn't mean that you're unclean when you're menstruating,
2: <laughs> correct. <Because laughs> correct?
0: It doesn't correct. mean that the literal level of those I, I, I want to say Levitical laws, I don't know if that's Leviticus or not, but that the that never translates to yes, this is also true about things, it's it's always representative of something deeper and something within all of us. But the thing about like the way Swedenborg's correspondences are, you can't just like, I can piece it together because I know what blood means and you know, you don't, because it's so different. It could be anything, um, but I know that you don't got to worry that you're unclean, right? That That's all we've got. Yeah.
1: Yes, right. I mean, and this is such an interesting question because uh, I guess, I guess the question is, yeah, what might be the meaning of being unclean? And that I'd have to, that would be an interesting search that I haven't done. And I know, I feel, I know at least other people have done that research. I haven't myself, but, um, but it's, it's funny how it's so different in my mind from the actual, like where, where Swedenborg helps me think about menstruation or anything is just the, the whole everything he says about cycles and renewal and, you know, just like those those sorts of theological concepts that are in his writings and really shine. I find great application for, you know, a woman's menstrual cycle.
2: Yeah. And a good point. And also just the complete honoring of the human form and the correspondences of all the body parts and all that kind of thing uh, are very essential. Um so I would think that it would be totally honored um, by Swedenborg uh, and the meaning of it. I mean, I, if you think abstractly about what would an, a, a discussion of unclean things in the Bible be, it would probably be something about the darker sides of our souls or something like that, which does not mean that menstruation is a darker side of our existence. It's, it's symbolic, perhaps, of something like that.
0: Yeah, there's so that's much, a guest.
2: Yeah,
0: right. There's so much in those those biblical laws about keeping things separate. Like if you've done thing X, you you're ritually unclean. You have to be purified before you go back in, and that uh, extends across so many different acts. I was just reading about how much effort God takes to within us keep good and evil separate. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you won't experience both in the same day but somehow down on the like spiritual molecular level there's great care taken to make it so that good and evil don't cross boundaries in a way that they're hard to separate because after death we get to if we if we want what's good we get to have that evil separated out. So I I just think there's got to be something about why why were there all these uncleanness laws where they correspond to perhaps something about the way that God creates this careful boundary between uh, you know, what's, what's ultimately more hellish and what's ultimately more heavenly. But.
1: Yeah. And I guess just one other thought I'll tack onto that. Cause I am just kind of like grabbing all the, it's making me think in different ways. It's like, um, as far as the uncleanness and like Levitical laws and stuff, I've been most spiritually helped by those things when I've read, uh, you know, thinking about the, the parts that I have delved into the meaning of is like, what's the process? What are you meant to do after you've touched a leper or after you've finally healed yourself of a skin disease? There's like all these rules about like, well, you go and you stay somewhere for seven days cause you're unclean. And then you do this thing and then you're back and you're back in society or whatever. And there's like the feel of it gives you this sense that it's like, there's this important process to, Our spiritual growth like there are these phases that we go through and that they're like that that's this cool kind of spiritual alchemy going on when we're going through spiritual growth like when our states are changing or we're you know removing an evil in our life and changing and stuff like that so i just think uh yeah anyway now now i'm thinking about the the woman who had her her that problem for like 12 years and then finally her blood flow stopped and stuff and uh, anyway so interesting I'm gonna want to go look it up
0: (laughs) go somewhere for seven days what does that remind you of aren't we in this huge worldwide episode of you know people being unclean in the in the sense that hey I was exposed to COVID so I've got to be away from other people until I know that I'm not going to give it to them. I'm not saying I have anything profound to say about that, but it's that same, you know, you've got to spend some time in this part of the cycle to ensure that, that health goes on. So
1: yeah. Right.
0: Um, yeah. Okay. That's good. Thanks. Which of the Wildwood for stumping us, but <laughs> hopefully, uh, that was a
1: us to do more research later.
0: <laughs> that's right. Okay. Back
1: next week. <laughs> yeah.
0: Don't miss it. Nana Rosebud asks, are baby cherub just created? Surely there's no pregnancy in heaven. Ooh. Also, I guess they escaped death. Yeah, so how there's so there's babies in heaven. Swedenborg reports
1: babies in heaven. Uh how what yeah. goes on there? How does it how does it happen? Well, yeah. Go ahead, Cara, you go first. I have weird ideas, so you go first.
2: Oh, okay, I'll, I'll have the boring ideas. You can have the weird ones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the way Swedenborg paints it is that um, all inhabitants of heaven were once alive on this earth. So there aren't babies that are just springing up um, in heaven, as says Swedenborg. Um Yes, no pregnancy in heaven. Swedenborg talks about <clears throat> spiritual offspring, meaning things that we do that are useful to other people, embodiments of goodness and truth that we can do for uh, the people around us. Um, so uh, that that image of a cherub, of a baby angel, um, I don't, I don't know the origin of that whole sort of concept, but there are babies in heaven. That's true. And, yeah. and Swedenborg talks about how infants in this world are just completely swimming in innocence and the love of the highest angels. So somehow that um, just pervades in the image of babies, I guess.
1: Right. And that's so my not weird idea is that um, <laughs> <laughs> he does say that angels of the highest heaven appear from far away as little children or I would think maybe even this like cherub idea. It's sort of interesting that we associate, we can picture There's such a tradition of picturing angels as little babies. um, And that, so Swedenborg witnessed that you see somebody from far away. Oh, it looks like cute, two little cute toddlers playing together or something. You get close and it's like, Oh, it's these super wise, loving angels that are fully grown, you know, fully matured people. But from far away, that innocence gives them a childlike look. Um, And uh, it, yeah. So anyway, the, the weird idea is just that I think that people, uh, like Carl was saying, we go, uh, Swedenborg says as soon as any, I mean, children that die in this world grow up in heaven, but they have, they enter heaven as little children and then they grow up in families. They get given essentially foster parents and they, they grow up. Um, and, uh, and so there's no babies that just are Mm -hmm. created in the other world. But I have had this like, Swedenborg has some interesting stuff about how our spiritual body is getting created during conception and during pregnancy. He like goes into the way that as we're growing in the womb our that's the beginning of our spiritual body. And so it really makes me think about like, well, what happens with miscarriages and with babies that don't come to full term Um, and certainly from the lived experience of, of women who have lost children that way, they, those are real people that they were just, you know, gestating. Um, and there's like a real spiritual essence to that. Um, and it's made me wonder, like, although Swedenborg doesn't talk about it, like, does that, do those miscarried physical babies have some sort of a spiritual gestation in angels who are women in the other world? And, who, is there some sort of a birth process? I have no idea, but it's like one of those weird, when you start thinking about that, you know, there's more to the story than even Swedenborg could write down in his books. And and when you get down into kind of the nitty gritty of it like that, it really makes me wonder like, well, wouldn't that be amazing? If you do, if those, you know, you, who knows? Anyway, that's fascinating.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a great thing to think about. And I just think of how prevalent in near-death experiences it is for people to meet siblings that were miscarried or or miscarried children um, that people had had I just think I feel like I've read that a lot where that someone will come back from near-death experience and say oh I had a sister I didn't know it but and then they talk to their parents and like oh yeah we had a miscarriage earlier so certainly seems like that's bubbling up out of everything is that 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 there's a uh, you know uh somehow that those lives that seem to us here to just have ended way before they, they got to a chance to get going. Actually, no, I mean, there, there's somebody was there and somebody's still there and, and you get to have this great reunion with them. So thank you so much for the, for the question, Nana Rosebud and next one. Oh, Hey, by the way, we're 0% of the way to our goal of $112. Uh, so go ahead and give us a, uh, a boost here off the slash donate. You will help us do this kind of stuff photo gem 01 asks how does rate of vibration relate to soul development that can you you know does that give us a boost what what is vibration is energy matter is matter energy These kinds of things right have, they, have either of you come across uh, you know Swedenborg talking about vibration uh or anything that that sort of seems related to how we now think about it Kelsey, yeah
1: yeah um the way what this is bringing to my mind is uh what happens in meditation is kind of the one association i have with it where swedenborg does talk about um our breathing and he says we have an external respiration or breath and an internal breathing and the internal breathing uh, relates to is sort of obviously it's autonomic it's not it's not voluntary and it it's somehow Uh, aligns with heaven. Um, Like when we get in, that's like the connection that we have our will and our intellect or like our heart and our mind and everything kind of working in concert with each other. Um, And so he said any, any spiritual insight that he had was directly related with kind of the, what you might call the vibration of how things were going on in his body Um, so that he could even pinpoint the spiritual community or like the angels that were associated with this new insight that he was having because of the, whatever he was feeling, (laughs) you know, whatever that vibration was. Um, And uh, so he, in a similar way, he describes, um, you know, that angelic communities have their own heart rate that they all share, like that there's a certain pulsing that you would call a heart rate that the whole community is involved in. And then, so that's different depending on the different community, um, and uh, and I think he even says that the more celestial, like heavenly, inmost levels are kind of slower, and then the sort of spiritual thinking ones are a little bit more upbeat, um, and and so so I kind of think. So that, that's some thoughts about vibration, how that relates to soul development. Um, I think we can connect to that where it's like, I feel the best after a good meditation where somehow things have gotten to slow down a lot. Or I sort of get into like a an inner space where there's just like this very comfortable ongoing, I don't know, maybe it is a pulsation or a vibration and it just feels like you're resting in that. And then that, that feels like it's given you some amount of renewal. Um, And so, uh, there's sort of that kind of helps me and resets me, you know, so that then I can, so it's not like that. I think that I get spiritually enlightened through that. I mean, I think I like my spiritual, any spiritual development still just depends on us engaging our sense of self and thinking about, you know, repentance and wanting to amend our behaviors and, you know, like align ourselves with the Lord as we understand that, but we can use tools like meditation and other ways to like consciously connect and align ourselves with spiritual communities that are at these different, you know, vibrations, so to speak. And that can help us on our journey.
0: Yeah. I love it. Great thoughts about the the nature of it. And I love that slowing down and the, the benefit, I mean, mindfulness is this thing that's being recommended by not just meditating people, but, psychologists and psychiatrists are saying you got to do mindfulness and you got to do it this way because it's so helpful how cool to think that that could be us tuning into some heavenly vibrations there uh yeah car did that inspire any thoughts in you or that any you have anything around this topic
2: no but i'm uh i I really appreciated what chelsea said thanks
0: awesome (laughs) well i'll I'll offer a partial thought because i don't well maybe this could relate to to soul development but When I think of vibration in my mind, and people use that term a lot of different ways, but I think about like a vibrating table or something. I think about a little line that's really wavy going up and down. Um, So that's like a, a light wave. And I know that it's light waves that are at different frequencies, like different, the waves are smaller or bigger. You can see them or you can't see them based on how big or small their waves are. So there's little animals in the ocean that can see colors that we can't see because their eyes can absorb these lights with the light rays with these different vibration, as I understand it. When Swedenborg's up in heaven, he he often reports that there are some people who there's angels all around them, but they can't see it. Mm -hmm. They they get up into like a third heaven and they can't see anything there. Mm -hmm. I just wonder if that's a vibrational difference issue that just like we can't see infrared or whatever the mantis shrimp is seeing. You can't see this higher or lower. I guess higher, probably vibration that that this the light of angels is in there, and uh, and that's why and maybe that's why you know we can't see them here is we can't to our physical eyes just can't hit that vibration or something. So I'm not gonna really go you know think about how that goes into how we live, but it's just it just strikes me as possibly across over there, Chelsea.
1: Well, yeah, just going on what you're saying because I think that's so interesting to think about it from the angle of spiritual light and that spiritual light is truth and and sort of it could connect with the soul development aspect of the question because Swedenborg talks about how our minds are vessels for love and wisdom, or he taught like we are these receivers, these um, our receptivity. And he, he particularly speaks it in terms of it being hard or soft, like a hardness is kind of resistant or like closed off to the, to what you might say, like an incoming vibration, if it is that sort of like transmitted, uh, that kind of a vibration, like light or something, um, and that we have to go through a process of softening our vessels, which is like a surrendering to be able to be receptive of those of that mm-hmm. of that incoming vibration. What's cool is that Swedenborg says that the Lord is present with all of his divine love and all of his divine wisdom to all of us all the time (laughs) like there's nothing it's not a lack of oh I'm in the wrong you know I can't see the northern lights because I'm too far down on the northern hemisphere it's like you're is right there so it's like our receptivity changes with our work that we do our soul Mm. development so
2: yeah, I guess the the word that comes to mind that Swedenborg uses is influx or inflow or influence. And uh, surely that has some kind of, you know, buzz. <laughs> I mean, I, I picture it as having some kind of buzz if we're opening up to this uh, inflow of uh, divine energy or like Chelsea said, the love and the wisdom. I hadn't ever thought of that in terms of vibration before, but. Perhaps it's the same thing. Maybe it's a semantic thing.
0: Cool. Well, I love thinking about those uh, those ways of connecting to the idea of vibration. Photo Gemma one. Hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> Next question. This is from Young at Heart, who asks, "Did Swedenborg see any correspondences in religious festivals such as Christmas and Hanukkah in the spiritual world?" You may have noticed that two thirds of the presenters here have a Christmas tree. <laughs> Um, yeah, so d- do we get anything uh, in Swedenborg's writings about these, yeah, holidays, religious festivals, which are just so prevalent in all cultures all over the world, all over all time, so they must be connected to something. Uh, does anyone have a, a thought about what that, what might be going on with that?
1: Uh, I wish I had some better number recall because there is this thing I was just reading recently about think Swedenborg was saying that maybe it was that he was with some people who were celebrating Christmas in this world somewhere and then the angels were like getting a huge kick out of all the music that was oh, happening yeah. or but it was or maybe it was the other way around that it was like anyway it was some way where angelic communities were connected with people in this world who were celebrating Christmas and singing a bunch of songs
0: well let's stay on, on that music for a second because a but number that's co- coming to mind for me is Swedenborg's description of music. I guess he was listening to having a huge impact on the spirits that were around him, that it soothed even sort of negative spirits into this, very chilled out state because they love the music. And at least in the United States, I think around with a particular celebration of Christmas, there's music, there's a whole genre of Christmas music. Yes. And you, you only listen to it around Christmas. But when, but people get to listen to a ton of it, I wonder if that has a ripple effect out in the, in the spiritual world, just the, the kind of music people are listening to and how that transfers to, to spirit. So I love that. Cara, do you have any thoughts on, uh, on uh, holidays or, or rituals or those sorts of things?
2: Not really. I, I'm, what's coming to mind now is this description of how in a, a society, a, a heavenly community he visited or something he in the early morning there's this whole choir of angels that sing in the early morning. And, um, that just reminds me, I mean, it makes it sound feel like every day is some kind of holiday celebration, (laughs) you know? Um, but I, I don't remember seeing anything about Christmas. So that's cool, Chelsea, that you saw that part. Um, surely, I mean, I would think that there would be some kind of um, acknowledgement of Jesus's birth in the world, because that was pretty major in the, in the Mm. spiritual history of the human race. But um, I don't recall a lot of discussion of it in Swedenborg.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good. And I I know that he talks about uh, festivals in the other world. I don't think he gives them a name. He's in some kingdom, and there's a prince, and there's a festival that's going to go on that day. He's getting kind of a flavor of what their life is like. So I don't know if it's a religious festival, I can't remember, but there there certainly do seem to be similar events to what we go through here. I know he talked about with the early Christian church, the fact that they would eat meals together was a big part of how their fellowship it grew and the, the whole church started to spread I know eating a lot of holidays center around sort of meals together so there's a lot of pieces that you can piece together um and that's fun to do so thank you for the opportunity young at heart and thank you to stephanie who gave us a gift and we're on the board we're making our way up and then right after that sean gave and now we, we're getting even farther so thank you so much sean we are now getting up towards We're almost just a hair under halfway to our goal of $112 for an extra 15 minutes of us um, pondering and gesticulating. So (laughs) go to -to offtoleft.com slash donate uh, if you want to contribute and, and help us do what we do. Next question. This is from Blue Red, who asks, what is the relationship between play and truth? And how I read that is is play, you know, a mechanism for learning or is it re- related to learning? I don't know. I guess you could read the question a different way, but curious uh, if that sparks any thoughts in anybody. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I, I, what what comes to mind is that I have friends who are very um, knowledgeable in the Rudolf Steiner approach to life uh the the waldorf education system and things like that and they uh make a big deal about play and how important it is and that that is a child's work essentially so um i like what you said curtis about it has to do with learning you know and so you're acquiring truth through play and just watching my two-year-old grandchild Uh, my granddaughter, it's, it is pretty amazing to watch what she's learning as she's playing with all her little animals and naming them and giving them things to do and stuff. Um, So that's, that's fun to think about. I, the relationship between play and truth. Hmm.
1: Yeah. And what it was bringing to my mind is that um, uh, one thing that Swedenborg says is that we don't learn anything unless we find some delight in it or some amount of joy, like the will, our will, what we love is the leader sort of, of, of our intellect to such an extent that we might not even notice it, but that actually there has to be some element of our will engaged to, and delight and joy to have anything stick. Um, and, and so I think play is a a way a word that we use to describe when you're doing something just cuz you really enjoy it you know like that it just feels fun and um and so i think that setting up environments where you're playing creates a really rich environment for truth to be able to take root um you know or be planted and then be able to grow um and uh yeah so that was a thought that was coming to my mind
0: cool two two instances that brings to mind for me of things like play learning in heaven that Swedenborg describes one is he talks about little kids being led somewhere and then they are they're supposed to say no I don't want to go any farther and it's like building up sort of their ability to resist evil and it I mean you know he doesn't describe it in a lot of detail but to me I could totally see little kids loving that game because little (laughs) if you're a kid you love saying no to a grown-up I mean that's just like (laughs) if you've ever had kids you know that that's so fun like no I get to say no I bet it's done as a game but it's teaching this important skill there was also this description of people um or, or, or a group of children um, being shown this representation that, that very obscurely depicted sort of Jesus rising from the dead so that it wouldn't be creepy at all about, around death. But it, that's more of like observing a play, but it's it's done with characters and, and story and things that, that that was how it was impressed on them. So I'm sure that if we're discovering anything about play being important to love here, then I mean, to truth here, then that's that's coming out of heaven. And I would imagine, I can't imagine they wouldn't have some awesome, you know, play-based curricula there to to really jumpstart the mind.
1: Yeah, and I think that uh, something along those lines that was making me think of is, uh, work says that we also can't learn what goodness is or truth without encountering its opposite. Like, contrasts are so important that aids us in thinking about um, learning the nature of things. And so even when he says in heaven, he describes plays happening, literally stage plays, to teach certain subjects, but that um, even the, the negative hellish parts aren't actually portrayed, but just enough to give contrast, but not to sort of disturb, you know, have just dis- put disturbing thoughts in people's minds. And um, and so I just think of how that that's definitely an element of play is is contrast, you know. I don't know, kids hurting themselves, <laughs> learning how to <laughs> learning how to climb on things or whatever. So yeah. What to do, what not to do. Yeah,
0: Right, right. That's great. Good. Well, that that's fun to think about that kind of learning and, and truth going on. And I'm just having little bits of remembrance of Swedenborg describing, you know, among sort of older children, almost like little competitions or debates that sharpen their ability right. to reason uh, done, done in sort of a more mature gaming format. Uh, so I'm sure that there's a lot of a lot of cool learning and However, they're learning there is probably a lot more advanced now than it was back when Swedenborg was reporting.
1: Right. Yeah. And it wasn't our um, how advanced technology originates in heaven episode recently where it was there. It's particular ways where he specifies that it's it's games. There's games, spiritual world representation games that spirit that children and the other in the spiritual world engage in to learn. So like games play. That's important. That's great.
0: Sure is. All right. Good. Well, thank you very much, uh, Red Blue, for that, that question. That was a lot of fun to think about. Thank you, Robert. Robert gave. We are up to $80 total. Just so we can see 112. Will we get there by the end of the hour to give you your extra 15 minutes of play? Uh, go to offtheleft.com <laughs> slash donate. The Cube asks, speaking of play and truth, why is <laughs> Earth life so boring? Is there not enough play? in earth life. So, I mean, I guess we're going to feel differently about life at different times, but I'm sure that you've all experienced boredom at some point. And life, if someone said to me, life is a drag, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, push back hard on that. It can be. So, so what's with that? What's it doing? And and why is it, you know, particularly, yeah, why, why is it, is, is there so much, I think of earth life, there's a lot of repetition, things are very fixed. There's times when you just have to kill time. Uh, What's up with that?
1: Yeah, well, I will say that when I tell my kids about the nature of the spiritual world and heaven and stuff, they have been known to come back with, well, that sounds really boring. (laughs) Or if if heaven is just goodness and nobody does anything wrong or nobody gets it, you know, like there's no strife, like what's the fun in that? Like it's boring. Um, to
0: take but, up, Is it? It's both. It's all boring. Here is boring. Here's turns boring. out it's
1: all boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I think uh, I do think it's a you know a matter of perspective. Uh, I don't know. I think there's a certain for some reason this question is making me think of what Swedenborg says about how we just as much as we wish somebody would just tell us what to do there's something inherently essential in our own engagement like to to think and make a choice and make a decision like he says you know um that that kind of engagement is important versus just being idle or just expecting something eventually to like get you up off the couch and to go do something so like there's our our uh compelling ourselves to you know like all right I'm just gonna do this thing or like I don't know engage in some way can can change our state I don't know I'll have other thoughts but those are some
0: that's great that's a great place to to start uh the car does that um call up anything in in you it's not too boring to share (laughs)
2: all boring it's all boring (laughs) um for some reason the concept of the bucket list is coming to mind (laughs) like uh, there's a lot of interesting things but um in this world but it does uh, require a sort of stepping outside of yourself to just try to um encounter the existence of other beings and other uh, people's uh, pe- other people's interests and other people's. I do write a lot on other people's interests and other people's passions. Um, and I get a lot of energy out of that because I feel like I'm kind of boring. I, you know, I'm not an artist or a quilter or a this or a that, but I love watching people who are so, um, and the Lord has given so such a variety of gifts to people. And it's there's nothing I love better than watching somebody do what lights them up, you know. Um, so sometimes I don't feel it in myself. But I think it's out there in the universe that there's, there's a lot of excitement and passion and, and cool stuff going on. But I know it's hard to tune into sometimes, for sure.
0: Yeah, it sure is. But nothing is allowed except good is coming out of it. So I'm thinking of what, where is the goodness in boredom? I do. The the world that we're in is so regimented. There is just got to be day got to be night. Christmas is coming. But for a kid, it's like it's not coming for 20 days. Like that really, that's how it is. And there's just so much i've definitely paused at times when i'm doing something routine and just realizing so much of life is these little routines washing the dishes and that if if the director of the movie chose to have so much of life be these little things but i do think it what it does over time is builds this concrete sense of what what normal is to you that i think can be really effectively built on that's sort of the message of correspondences is here we learn about objects and uh, very physical time and space-based situations that are overall pretty pretty boring in the scheme of things sometimes, but the, those then become these really living, interesting symbols for spiritual things you know, when you translate that. So we, this has got to be foundational here. Uh, it's got to have some of that nature to it—the the, the steadiness, the repetition—that is that builds the foundation of the house. Is the least interesting part. I mean, it's the simplest part. It's the most blocky part, but it's got to be that way for stuff to to rest on it. So that's one. That's an interesting side of it. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I think. Um, yeah, my the only other thought I think I have on this one too is that uh, I think of boredom as a state of being you know it's a state that we can get into and and this question of why is earth life so blank you could just insert any number of words into that statement because life is actually this spectrum of a lot of different states and experiences that we have you know joy and sadness and heartache and loneliness and you know just everything and uh earth like life is not one thing and that sort of everything. It's amazing to think about how, you know, the way that even if you think about our earth in space, like we're never in the same place at the same time, like this, we're so, and then even in our own lives, we're this spiraling experience of new things. So it can feel monotonous, but you're never actually in the same place you were before. Um, And, and so you're never gonna you know, just wait, like a shift is going to happen, you know? So if you've, you know, if you're in a state where like when my kids come to me and they're complaining about being bored, it's like, well, just let yourself be bored and then see what happens later, you know, because something's gonna, gonna shift because life is not always bored. Some then it's going to turn and become, you know, devastating, or it's going to become (laughs) really joyful or uh, hilarious. Uh, But then you'll be back at the bored thing. And that, that's like a part of the the cycle Mm. and uh, fluctuation that that adds to the ultimate richness of life. You know, that same contrast thing of like, if we weren't, we have to be bored so that we can enjoy not being bored. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate the not boredness sometimes. Right.
0: Right. The, that's the boredom is the gift that keeps giving. Um, <laughs> well, and it could be that the boredom has something to do with switching our spiritual communities. Cause what, what ex, you excited, maybe some communities that were leaving um as we change we're we're going towards communities that are going to enjoy the life we have now but we're not quite there yet I remember being told about um by by somebody who uh Peter Rhodes who's appeared on our program a few times he was a, a parole officer and worked with a lot of addicts and things and that when somebody's becoming sober initially it's it can be boring Because it's Saturday night, and what did you do? Well, nothing. I didn't go out. I didn't do anything. I just sat around the house with my family. And there can be a real struggle there of I'm used to this like high octane, energizing life that had all these drawbacks. But in time, they come to really treasure this. Nothing. It was nothing. I just, I didn't do anything crazy. I worked on the sink, and it was just great. Uh, So it could well be that. That you know we sort of there there's a change in what we love and while we're in that interim there's some some boredom and, and things
1: mm, totally such a good point mm.
0: okay hey um Amon donated to us and with that actually Amon thank you so much bumped us up to one thirty so Woo! we we are gonna everybody oh, yeah. do your stretches get your extra thinking cap. And uh, we're going to go for an extra 15 minutes, and we're so glad to do it with all of you. And more than that, we just appreciate the support and the knowledge that what we're all doing here together as this team, all of you and all of us, is something you feel like is worth supporting and and is making a difference for you. So thank you, everyone, for your support. Let's show them we mean it. Let's take some more questions. Miko Bishop asks, If Swedenborg says that God's design is for all people to have a spiritual partner or have marriage in heaven, would Jesus as God's son be joined with a someone in heaven? You don't want Jesus to get left out of the whole thing. If, if we've got this idea, like there's a soulmate for everybody, poor, poor, lonely God. Right. Um, so, yeah. What, what, do, uh, what do you guys think about that?
1: Um, yeah. Well, one thing uh, Swedenborg says is that, you know, spiritual things are hard for us to wrap our heads around when we think of them from, are earthly, like from the world of appearances and outer levels of thinking, the nature of time and space and stuff like that. So, um, so that's my setup. But so Swedenborg talks about how Jesus was just the incarnation of God. And then when he died, the resurrection is that he was glorified and just became one with the divine. So there's only one divine being. And the word that Swinborg gives for this divine being is he'll call it the divine human one, because there's this critical fact of God that it's divine and human, like full spectrum, everything, the infinite one that is present in all parts of creation. Um, And so this divine human one is love and wisdom so we might interpret that to think like a male and female because sort of the way you know gender is in this world is we have you know love and wisdom is reflected in these different sorts of pairings of things um and but in the divine human one love and wisdom are just are one um distinguishably one but they're both there and so Swedenborg says that You know, when the commandments talk about honoring your father and your mother, it's the father and mother that's within the divine human one who is, you know, that love and wisdom that, um, you know, both are one parent, um, and, and that those are aspects of, um, of God. So, so anyway, yeah. What do you guys think?
0: That's great to think about this, this completeness in the divine and how we are all sort of descended from that and, and that, that. Marriages between people are pictures of that heavenly marriage that you described of love and wisdom. I love it. It's a great, great note to think about. Kara, uh, did you have anything to add?
2: You guys, you guys got it. I think.
0: Great. I so <laughs> uh, what, one one uh, closing thought that occurs to me is so who who is God if we're going to say yeah the, you know Jesus is is God like there's there's God and who is God's soulmate um there's sweden there's a a passage where swedenborg says in heaven it's not called husband and wife it's they use a term that's like belonging to the other and like who's god's belonging to the other it's you (laughs) well and, and in that the that the Sweetmore talks about the church as being God's spouse, right? So the church being the part in each of us that that can accept that, and it also talks about seeing the whole of heaven like a single person. You know, so it's almost like because we, as we were just talk, actually talking about before the show. I think where where you know the idea of God being divided up, where it's like you know, think of all the different people that are praying to God right now. And if God was in time and space, and like, okay, well, I was helping you, but now I'll zoom over here and help you. Um, God is able to be simultaneously present with everyone, and and really is like got this this marriage with each of us. You know that we each are both in in uh, individually we're married to God, but as a whole human race somehow the whole human race and God are, are, have that bond. And that that great partnership too is sort of what, uh, you know, all, all marriages between people are modeled after or reflecting or something like that. So, so yeah, we, that, that's our, that's uh you know, what do they say? My better half, our better half is God and God's better half is <laughs> yeah. us.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Um, I'm just remembering now that um uh, Swedenborg talks about the the what is was behind the creation of us human race types is divine love and the nature of love the nature of love being to love someone outside of yourself and to want to make them happy um, and so that resulted in the creation of the human race so that God could fulfill that um, that drive of love so. That's just another way of looking at this that we're the other half. We're created. We're created because God had all this love. God is love. God wants to give it all to us.
0: By being so
2: lovable, we're doing God a huge favor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Need somewhere to park all that love. Uh, Hey, I want to say thanks to Carla. Carla, even though we'd already reached our goal, Carla realized that what we're doing is important and donated. So now we're up to 155 on the day. Thank you so much. Every time when we start this, I'm like, well, this time we're never good. No one's going to donate. No one's gonna, and then you know, always do. It's just so cool. So thank you so much. <laughs> and thank you, uh, Miko or Maiko Bishop, for a really great question that, that I've so far just really enjoyed all these discussions. Mm-hmm. What are we going to talk about next? Brandwebs asks, I've heard on some of your publications that Jesus was a very joyful spirit. To that end, joy is the spirit of Christmas. So, what's Swedenborg's take on Santa, if any? <laughs> Can we ha- Yeah, what's the doctrine of Santa?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, things. Swedenborg uh, talked about Santa. I think that St. Nicholas, I don't know. Anyway, it was, yeah. wasn't quite the same thing in the 18th century as it is today. Um, and yeah, but I guess, so it's, I guess it's a matter of how Swedenborgians think about Santa. <laughs>
0: well, I, I would say, man, do I, when I, so much modern Christmas material, like movies and books and things are just like, well, Santa is obviously a God figure. Yeah. Right. Santa is like you, uh, is, is Santa is interested in you being good Um, I'm thinking of, there's a movie called Elf, where, you know, like in every movie, Santa, it's like, do do you believe in Santa? And believing in that gives you this, gives this power to the connection between Santa's sleigh, in this case, and people. Santa wears red and white, which just happened to be the two primary colors in the spiritual world, love and truth, okay, like that was an accident or something. Um, And, 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 Santa gives presents, which God gives us life and love. And, you know, without presents, we wouldn't build this same joy around Christmas. I think that there's, it's got to be some kind of divine plan that that Christmas becomes this thing that is so exciting to kids and that we link that excitement with. Anyway, uh, so I would say like, I love Santa. I mean, I think that's cool. I, I think that a lot of the a lot of the stuff around that I, I can get moved. Cause I'm just thinking, yeah, that's the, that's like what the Lord does for us. It's like, what, what's going on. I don't know what the chimney thing is, but. <laughs> hey,
1: hey. but that's. I mean, you're doing, it's exactly right. Where it's like, I guess what Swedenborg's take might be, if we are imagining is like that Santa corresponds to something like what is the correspondence of Santa? Like, yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, how important giving and receiving is like, that's a huge thing. And um yeah, it's fun to think about all those different elements.
2: Yeah, and um, I'm thinking of the the three kings and the gifts they gave to baby Jesus. Um, and maybe that started off the whole gift-giving thing. But yes, that whole thing about, um, well, not even getting gifts from Santa, but how we all, like even kids, want to give gifts and just that whole practice of thinking about somebody else and doing something for somebody else is so essential in uh, Swedenborg's hierarchy of loves, you know, the just love of the neighbor. Uh, it's, it's just a little concrete way where the whole world sort of gets on board about, Oh, let's do everything good for the people we love and other people. I mean, all for all people. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. Good well, idea. That The correspondence, Chel. that's, that's a good way of what yeah.
1: <laughs> well, i was just thinking because another aspect of the santa thing or uh in my experience or like is that there's or something that aligns with something swedenborg talks about is the emphasis on developing conscience like that this whole santa idea because i was thinking also now uh, the elf on the shelf is a big thing and like and i was just thinking about how that's kind of like you know just whether it's this idea that oh there's these sentient beings that you can't see but they somehow know what's going on for you and and then how that's sort of this useful tool for kids to develop a sense of conscience you know that that how how valuable that is uh is is good you know so it's good to have ways of encouraging that in kids and stuff (laughs) yeah lording it over them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like, or else, know, i will go to tell Santa.
0: <laughs> Calvin and Hobbes. I don't know if you guys ever read the, the old cartoons, Calvin and Hobbes. And there's like one of him on Christmas and he's opening all his presents and he's like, absolution on all charges. I'm, he doesn't have to be good anymore because he already got his <laughs> presents. <Yeah>. Um, exactly. <laughs> and I just think if, if we're... The spirit of Christmas, I mean, Christmas, I know that there's like this tension between, oh, is Christmas about Jesus or is it about Santa and presents and in, in modern the modern celebration of it? But when you get to all these movies and things, it's this what's the spirit of Christmas is is love, is is you know kindness you know to, to your fellow human beings. That that's the theme in every every corny Christmas movie there is, is about that spirit coming out. That spirit is literally Jesus Christ. That that is what God is. That love for like e- even almost more so than when it was a physical incarnation. That that is the divine human is whenever so that that's in your heart doing that. So it is about Jesus, you know, in, in through through means that that are so fun to to accept and all that stuff. So I, there's this one song, um, uh, "Santa Claus Comes Tonight," and there's this line in it which is like. Um, Santa knows we're all God's children. That makes everything right. And to me, it's yeah. like, they're just trying to force those two together. Like, yeah. to make it religious enough so that they're, like, they won't get mad. But <laughs> I don't know if that's why, but it just always strikes me as up. Oh, they're just trying to make sure it stays religious. Please everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Thanks so much, um, Bren Webs. That was a great one. Martin S. asks, I think heavenly learning is to force us to think for ourselves. Swedenborg says that the Bible isn't 100% accurate. Isn't this one of the reasons? And we were just having a discussion about this uh, with, with some of the team. Uh, so is learning, yeah, how what's the uh, what's the importance of, of thinking for ourselves in learning? And does Swedenborg talk about that uh, being a, an important part of it?
1: Yeah, well, that, that first half of that question, an interesting thing that comes to my mind is that um, Swedenborg talks about... Uh, the importance, yeah, of our free will, you know, is really a big part of it and our spiritual freedom. So to think for ourselves is because that's so core Um, and connecting with the experience of what he said of children growing up in heaven is uh, you know, that they're more aware of it, but that spirits will try to inflow and kind of control how kids speak. He, he describes this experience and that the kids get really kind of um, annoyed at that and, you know, say no, you know, don't want to get pushed around by these spirits. Um, And that that ends up being this essential tool for them to learn how to think for themselves, you know, only like it's them and God, you know, their relationship with the Lord and not what these spirits that are around them might be wanting to make them think. And uh, so we're not as cognizant of that in our world, but, you know, it's just as important for us to for us to think for ourselves um and and i'm not sure if swedenborg specifically pins down the accuracy of the literal sense of the bible as being a reason that or you know because we need to think for ourselves but in general he does talk about just that the the literal level is this container and we have to um it's what we bring to it you know like what we bring to it and our intention that is the means of our enlightenment through it you know how we get connected to to any actual spiritual truth so you can't just um you know he he says you can't just uh i mean people do this but it's like that we have to grow out of this of just swallowing what other people tell us to think or just you know taking in what we were told to believe um how important it is for us to think it through for ourselves and yeah
0: that's great that's a great uh, great couple of points there. Um, and I love what you said about the Bible. You can't just take it and not process it. And I guess the, so Swedenborg doesn't seem that doesn't seem perturbed at all by whether or not the Bible is describing something that actually happened. I mean, he'll just say, "Oh yeah, the first X number of chapters. This isn't really happen, but this is a symbolic story." There are there are people who take look, the Bible is. Uh, is is a absolute force meaning this is true down to every single letter meaning literally true and this is exactly how things are and you have to think like that like if it says the world was made in seven days then the physical world was made in seven days and the picture swedenborg gives of learning says n- nothing is taught like that where it's just you you're forced to believe it. even in heaven when they tell you something true you are also told the false like the competing false theory alongside it which is a really bizarre idea but it's just to underscore that learning has to be something you weigh for yourself that you're not even in heaven are you just told look this is what it is and you better you better like it i he, in a in a really cool passage in i believe divine providence he talks about how Doubt has to be there because if you don't have, uh, you know, uh, might be true, might be not be true, I have to weigh this, your thinking is like a statue. It's just, it doesn't have movement and life to it. Your con- your concept of whatever idea that is, is not really alive. It's, it's almost two-dimensional. But when you've gone through the process of thinking it over and weighing it and, and really doing some soul searching on it, and then you come to believe it and affirm it. It's like a, a person that's alive and that that's, that's, you can't skip that step. Uh, so there's, there's just no forcing people to, to believe something it, much as we try to do that with each other. You just, you can't do it.
2: Yeah, uh, part, I, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, there's so much power in the questions that we carry, you know, most of the big questions in life, like we learn every week on this show we can talk about them, but we don't necessarily know what the answers are. But just the the force of the question, um, there's so much life in that. And if we and, and if we were just dr- if the answers were just dropped on us, there would be no, um, you know, our own seeking and our and our own um, sense of self that sort of gets to take in this world and figure out what we think about it. It just would be totally quashed, squashed if we didn't um, have, if we had all that questions answered. And that's what the whole thing about faith is, right? Faith. We can't prove it. But it's it's us taking what we have, feel to be true and good and measuring the world against it and um, a, this constant sort of growing experience in our own minds to find the answers and that's what's really alive in us you know
0: yeah i hate this hate to say this because i so love trying to just like figure out what's true and stuff but it (laughs) barely matters i mean it matters but compared to our motivations you can you can have a head full of truth but love uh, harmful things. And as soon as you go to spiritual world, all that truth just flies out the window because the love wasn't there. And it's, I remember there's one passage where Swedenborg says something like, you know, you could, uh, and he's talking in the context of, um, the Christian church and saying that you could, you could go and and convert the whole world to Christianity for a bad reason. And it wouldn't be any good, uh, like for you. Right. And you could, go persecute the church and cause its entire ruin, but from a good motive and you'd still go to heaven. That, that it is, the motive is so much more important than the idea. Ideas are awesome. They are such good tools, but unless we work on our, our motivations, oh, what question are we, why am I even saying that? What question <laughs> oh, oh, the, oh, it's learning. Right, right. Um, so that weighing is really good. And I guess it's probably a function of that engages our will. Right. That if somebody else tells us you have to believe this, we're not believing it because we love it. But if we weigh it and say this really does feel right to me, then the all important will, you know, it's changing the will uh, as well as will. Um,
2: but- <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm just thinking real quick, too, that um, the discussion in Swedenborg about how miracles don't happen anymore because... Uh, that would take away our spiritual freedom. Like we'd be forced to believe in whatever miracle presents itself. Um, and so that spiritual freedom being core, the most important thing to the Lord is our spiritual freedom. Um, so so the, the play in that, going back to play, the play in just not having a like some kind of monolithic truth this is it is so it's just so essential for our experience of being ourselves
0: it's so true as much as i would love there to be monolithic truth yeah (laughs) Man, do i just want to like just tell me exactly what to do for everything man would that be a relief but okay all right i get it we gotta we gotta play
1: and i guess like the one last thing that's coming to my mind about this is that like with it's being soon. We're talking about the Bible, not being a hundred percent accurate. It's kind of like, uh, one thing Swedenborg does say is just that the Bible it's, it's worded the way that it is to be a correspondence with, with heaven to, you know, convey this, it has this spiritual correspondence with the Lord's process. So it just has sort of everything kind of embedded in it. And, um, But what, since it's serving a container, serving as a container for that spiritual truth, it means like the, what we get on this end sounds just like nonsense sometimes, you know? And so there's like, accurate is kind of like, uh, maybe what it's bringing to my mind is the parts of the Bible that are just like, you know, why is, why is a goat talking? You know, how does an animal have 11 horns? Like, why does... Yeah. Flyer Kings, breastfeeding. I don't know, like just this is all um weird stuff. And so it just doesn't, but there's spiritual truth.
0: Yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> I wanted to say the Bible is is written in such a way that it's a hundred percent ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. But that's not true. Okay, because there's some places that are clear, like some of the, the teachings yeah, right. they But but a lot it's written to be very ambiguous this is why you can have people quoting it for such different reasons and it's just a strange it's not it's not you page one i'm telling you what you have to know for life the first thing if it starts with a story and then it goes to another in the branch off and and then it's these the bunch of poems in a row the whole thing just leaves this wide open field for you to venture out in and yet there's obvious uh, tales about morality in there, and there are comforting words, but it's in the middle of this structure that's strange. So, I, it's it's as you're saying, Chelsea. It's set up that way to correspond, and it has the functional effect of man leaving a huge bunch of freedom. People have tried to say, well, that's why whenever anyone says the book, go read your Bible. The Bible says, no, it doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't say that it, it, the Bible says a huge long thing and you're cherry picking apart and saying, that's when the Bible, the Bible didn't talk like that. Right. Uh, okay. We got to get out another question. Yeah, so. that's good. <laughs> okay. Uh, this, this will probably be our last one, but it, uh, it's a really great note to end on. Angela, she asks, can anyone talk more about why God doesn't need us to worship him? I think I get it, but I'd like to hear more. Why? why doesn't God need, uh, us to, to worship? Uh, yeah. Yeah. What do you think?
1: Yeah. Um, I think, I hope I can, uh, articulate this well. Um, but that the, um, God, the value, God doesn't need us to worship him. The value of our worship or sort of, you can think of the word humility, like humbling ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, this sense of I'm, you know, bowing down even is like what we talk about, and that's because uh, for us to have spiritual life, the Lord needs to be in charge. Like we don't know of ourselves what's good for us. Like so that our our sense of self, this little ego that is designed to have autonomy, because the Lord can fill that up with love and wisdom, so we can think uh, you know, from the Lord. Like the most beautiful thing, Swedenborg says, is a sense of self that has been brought to life by the Lord. That means like we've let go of our self apart from the Lord and we are just, you know, connected, hooked up to a sense of this living sense of the Lord's love and wisdom and how we can live in that in our life. Um, and so the opposite of that is a self, a little sense of self that has shut the Lord out, you know, is not um not open for business, you know, just wants to, I know how to do it myself, I don't need your help. And you know, when we go off on that, uh, in that direction, then we we get into a lot of trouble because we can't do things really on our own. Like all life is really from the Lord and all goodness really comes from the Lord. Um, and so the worshiping thing is that it's just, it's it's a handholding. It's a way for the Lord to like lead us to, um, you know, get to start even acting like I'm going to surrender my will to the Lord's will, you know, like, so That that's why it's like, the Lord doesn't need us to worship him. Cause the Lord is just the Lord and wants us to just be, I mean, wants to just give us everything that the Lord has. Um, but it's that it's those hardened, you know, vessels that we were talking about that, that close the Lord out that those things need to be softened. And so this idea of, um, worshiping the Lord is is that you know training ourselves in humility until we can start to really feel it like feel the reality of it so I think uh so I think that's why that there's like the whatever your external practices of worship are like there's so many it's hard to say you know there's so many when I say worship it probably brings up you know a different idea in every single person who's hearing that word but um I think a, a sort of core element is this surrendering and that that is slowly training us to, to learn how to really give our will up and let the Lord's will be what we want to have happen.
0: Beautifully said, important, yeah. but, but for a different reason than you might, you might think. Cara, do you have any thoughts?
2: Yeah. Um, it, if we are like the highest thing in our own universe, the Lord knows that that is not the path to happiness. To just be completely absorbed in our own selves and our own, uh, you know, uh, concept of truth and goodness and all that kind of stuff. So he doesn't need us to worship him. But uh, to I love I love your thoughts about humility, Chelsea. Just that our being humble in the sight in the in the face of a higher power is just gonna. Up, our ability to find happiness and joy I think
0: yeah I think that the happiness and joy is probably what's in God's mind like the worship is a means to that end and God is really like loves the means because loves the end which is our happiness but doesn't care about the form of the worship by itself. It doesn't care about, oh, yeah, here comes worship time. This is great. But knowing the worship is, as Chelsea was describing in the essential step to getting us to the place where we can let good life in. Yeah, there's a need for that. And when I think of the word need, like, do I need my daughter to make good choices when she's a teenager? Well, yeah, I really want it. You know, I, like I, I, I need it just like God needs us to worship him because this needing is this step towards us letting in this life of heaven that's going to make us really happy, but, but doesn't need it in the negative sense. Like I need to feed my ego. I, I need, uh, right. I've got this need. I'm incomplete on my own and you've got to f- fill it for me, you know?
1: Right. Right. And I do think there's like a, cause I don't know. I don't know. I mean, right now I'm in quarantine. I don't do a lot of, I'm not going to church. I don't know. I don't know what people's forms of worship are right now. Um, like I'm in a, I go to like a prayer service, like a virtual Zoom prayer service thing. And then it's like, I might read things by myself and pray or meditate. And it's like, those are kind of worship, but they're just like me taking the time to want to connect to something. Yeah. Like Kara said, something bigger than yourself and remind yourself like it's, that's why it's just really for our sake. Cause it's like, yeah, exactly. The Lord says like, you know, what is it? Like my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like I'm going to, I want to give you rest. That whole idea is like, we carry so much freaking weight all the time. Like we think it's all on our shoulders. We just are so burdened by, you know, ugh, all of the stuff of life. And the Lord really wants to like, look, There, it's it's different than you think. There's like a better story going on here and you don't have to hold it all yourself. And so when we're in these practices of, praying or reading the word or you know showing up to hear a spiritual message or something like those are those uh, the lord likes it because like curtis is saying those are those access points where it's like oh great i could like let you know that it's not you know you can it's gonna be okay you know (laughs) yeah right
2: yeah and i just have one more thought which, which is um, Swedenborg has a beautiful line and I'm not going to quote it exactly, but it's something like a person who is living a life of goodwill to their neighbor is in a life that is in constant worship or something like that right. is in, a, yeah. in a life of constant worship, something like that. So worship being to be good to those around us because that serves God's ends. That's another way of looking at worship. And I think the whole world needs us to worship in that way.
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember early on when we were, I was doing the, a Facebook page for Swedenborg Foundation about heaven and hell, and we started putting Swedenborg quotes on pictures. That was one of the early ones. Mm-hmm. Person, if a person lives a life of kindness, they're continually at prayer. If not yeah. with their mouth, then with their hearts.
2: Ah, thank you. Yeah.
0: Nice. So it's it's happened. Man, okay, this is really bad, but I just want to say really quick, there was a guy named Robert Martin in the chat who asked, He did I just want to read this one really quick. I don't even know if we have the graphic, but he said, I love tornado chasing and surfing. Do you think I'll be able to do my loves in heaven or will my loves just change? Because we were talking about how heaven was boring, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, you will get like the core of the essence of why that stuff is fun, you, it won't like, okay, now I love gardening or something. There there are some good correspondence of chasing a tornado that you're going to be able to do that feels that same excitement and all that same thing with surfing. Like it's going to be that, but like amped up. I mean, that, that would be my thought.
1: And yeah, my speed thought is like that. That's sometimes we have those dreams where we're doing something that is like, beyond this world, but so much fun, you know, like just like dreams that you have where it's like, wow, this wasn't even possible, but I was doing this thing. And it has that same kind of like thrill and like, awe, you know, that life is bigger than we thought it was. So I feel like that's, it's going to be more and just as satisfying.
2: Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, air and wind and water all correspond to truth. I mean, you're going to be in great shape. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, let's
0: just do twenty more questions. Thank you, everybody. It's been a great show. Um, we raised one hundred fifty-five dollars from five donors, one brand new donor. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, so what we do with that—that that kind of funding—is continue to produce programming. Speaking of that, on Monday we've got a show, a Sweet Morgan Life episode called "How to Allow Angels to Change Your Life." Check that one out. Um, thanks so much. Chelsea and Cara, it was great fun having you.
1: Yeah, this is so wonderful. Always great to get to be here. And this feels especially uh, cheery this week, <laughs> this festive season. Thanks for your Christmas trees.
2: <laughs> yeah. So great to just chew over these ideas and thanks so much for submitting the questions that we can chew on.
0: Couldn't chew without you.
2: See you later. Oh. <laughs>